Cork, a revolutionary city of deep, rich history, with some tales still to be told. 2022 marks the centenary of the Civil War. We take a trip back in time to Cork in 1922, where in the midst of the Civil War, the city was still trying to rebuild itself from the rubbles after the burning of Cork in 1920. One man in particular left an important stamp to mark this time. His name was Barry Egan, the creator of Cork Republican Silver. The fifth class of Skull Oliveira are here to tell you all about it. Stay tuned. It's the 15th of April 2008 in the beautiful surroundings of Adams Auction House, Stevens Green, Dublin. Lot number 573 is about to go under the hammer. Two circular dishes with a slightly beaten surface. Silver, but not just any silver. Because lot 573 is different, lot 573 is unique. Underneath the circular dishes is a mark that reads W-E. There is also a ship with two castles punched into the silver pieces. The tent serve is broken by the fall of the gavel. Lot 573 is sunk. Two dishes 13 centimetres in diameter might normally be expected to sell for a few hundred euro. Lot 573 has been sold for an estimated 40,000 euro. This is Cork Republic in silver. But what makes this lot so unique? What makes this silver so expensive? What connects Cork to this 2008 auction and many other like it over the years? To find out, we need to take a trip to the revolutionary Cork. Looking at the War of Independence, Truce and Treaty and the outbreak of the Civil War. But first, let's acknowledge the fact that silver has a long storied history, not just worldwide, but in Ireland too. Silver is a precious metal. It gets its value from its rarity and its beauty. It's mined and then gets used in everything from electronics to jewellery. Silver has a long history in Ireland. To prove this, our word for money asquilga is argid, which also translates as silver. Our place names hold clues as to the importance of silver and where it was to be found. For example, we have the Argadine River in Cork, silver mines in Tipperary and silver bridge. In the past, Irish silversmiths made things like Argachalis during the Golden Age. And what about Cork? Cork was a home to several silversmiths at the beginning of the 20th century, including a famous firm, W.E. Egan's and Sons. Founded in the 1820s on the Grand Parade, in 1876, Egan's moved to 32 St. Patrick Street. And we'll hear more about the Egan's later. First though, we need to understand Ireland at the time, as the revolutionary period approached. Sophie will tell us about an event that, in the words of W.B. Yeats, changed Ireland utterly. In 1916, a rebellion against British rule in Ireland took place. Led by the Irish Volunteers and the Irish Citizen Army, a republic was declared at the GPO in Dublin. It lasted for a week. Most people didn't support it. That soon changed when the British executed the leaders. 
and while history points to it as a Dublin rebellion, two important incidents happened in Cork. After receiving mixed messages, actions in Cork were called off when the volunteers heard of the rebellion, over a thousand of them met at Share Street in the city under the command of Tomás McCurtain. So after a week-long standoff, a deal was reached with the Bishop of Cork, Daniel Cullohan, and the Mayor, Butterfield, and they were negotiating. Parts of the deal were broke and it ended up with McCurtain ending up in a prison in Wales. McCurtain felt guilty because he felt that he left people down. He promised himself that he would get another chance to make his mark in Cork. And what about Thomas Kent? When the RIC and the British tried to arrest known Republicans in Cork, they faced resistance at the home of Thomas Kent. It led to the killing of his brother, and Thomas Kent was later executed by the British too. These events and the threat of conscription led to a big increase in support for an Irish Republic. Jamie explains. The 1918 election was a landslide for the Sinn Féin party. They promised not to take their seats in Westminster. Instead, they set up their own parliament in Leinster House. It was a famous election because women could vote for the first time and Countess Markovich became the first woman to be elected. As a Republican, she took a seat in the New Doll and was made Minister for Labour. And this support for the Republic was seen at the local elections in Cork too in 1920. In 1920 local elections in Cork, the corporation decided to vote for Lord Mayor and the winning votes for the Lord Mayor ended up being Tomás McCurtain. They wanted to recognise the Irish Republic and support the First Oil. The War of Independence started in Solohead Beg County Tipperary and was mostly of the Irish against like loads of different English forces, the Blackened Hands and the British Army. A war was raging across Ireland as the forces that supported the Doyle, Erin and the Irish Republic clashed with the Royal Irish Constabulary. The Black and Tans, the Auxiliaries, as well as the British Army regiments like the Essex and Bandon, for example, who were determined to destroy the Republic. And Cork played a big role. Cork was a place where a lot of ambushes and attacks happened. In West Cork, you had events like the Kilmichael ambush and the Cross Barry battle. In the city, there were some terrible events. The murder of Ard Vera, Thomas McCurtain, in his house by the RIC in the middle of the night. He was followed in office by Terence McSweeney. He knew when he took office that it would probably cost him his life. The British arrested him and he ended up in Brixton Prison where he went on a hunger strike in protest. He died after 74 days of hunger strike. But if the attacks on the elected representatives of Cork City were designed to terrorise Cork and her population, they did not work as support for the Republic group. But for the city, more was to come. The 11th of December 1920 would have started like any other day, except for the air of anxiety that hung over the city. It was two weeks after the Kilmichael ambush, and the bodies of the auxiliaries had come back through the city to be sent to England. Cork was now a place under martial law. The Irish Examiner of the 11th of December features an advert for W.E. Egan saying business as usual. 
William Egan was a serviceman on 32 St. Patrick Street. Little did he know I was in store. That evening, the Cork Number no. 1 Brigade ambushed a group of auxiliaries at Dillon's Cross. It was just outside their barracks and showed the confidence of the Republican forces in Cork City at this time. The reaction and the reprisal was brutal. Houses were burnt in Dillon's Cross and the auxiliaries and black and tans went on a rampage through Cork City Centre setting fires. Fire brigades trying to put out fires were attacked and had their hoses cut. Barry Egan, who was a Sinn Féin councillor in Cork Corporation and who had ran W. E. Egan and Sons on St. Patrick Street, was an eyewitness and recorded his account. Egan remembers December 11th, the burning of Cork. December 11th, the burning of Cork. About 10.30 that night we saw a terrific glare of fire. About 12 midnight it had subsided. In the morning some of our staff came down to say half Patrick Street was burnt out and still blazing. We walked through Bridge Street and there had been a sight of our lives. From Merchant Street to Mailer Street, the block was still burning. Cash's was in ruins. Thompson's toy shop blazing furiously. Every place west up to that to Victoria Hotel was in ruins. The street was cleared of blackened hands. It was crowded with people. The fire brigade had a single hose on one building. Wolf's drapery shop blazing away. The effort was pathetic. Hoses were lying around the street cut. The brigade was at the last stages of exhaustion. The military fire brigade remained in the barracks, idle. The British army looked on the whole night through. They were directly over on top of Patrick's Hill. Numbers of officers came down to the town to get a better view. At 7.30am, William Egan and Sons was a heap of ruined smoking ashes. It went down where all it held and gave up nodding to the enemy. The fire at the back caught the woodwork of back windows and ran through the whole place. In such a fashion was the work of a hundred years and a few short hours laid in ruins. The life work of three generations apparently destroyed. The mainstay of 50 or 60 families broken and it was devastating. More than 40 business premises, 300 residential properties, the City Hall and Carnegie Library were destroyed by fires, many of which were started by firebombs. The economic damage was estimated at over €3 million, worth about €155 million, while 2,000 were left jobless and many more became homeless. Among the building burnt with over 60 workers out of work was Barry Egan's jewellers at 32 Patrick Street. The conflict continued with similar burnings happening in other times like Balbriggan. A truce eventually was signed and the treaty was agreed in London. This treaty was very controversial, however. Pro-treaty people like Michael Collins and Arthur Griffith said it was a stepping stone to the Republic and a start. Anti-treaty people like Leo Meadows and Countess Markovich said it was a betrayal of the Republic on what people have fought for. Pro-treaty candidates won most of the seats, but some people felt that women under 30 should have been given a vote in the election. Anti-treaty people also said that it was unfair to hold an election under threat of war and that there was no justice in only holding it in 26 counties. Tensions grew as a Free State Army was set up to defend the new provisional government. When the British left barracks around Ireland, pro and treaty forces took over. 
In Cork, anti-treaty forces were strongest. For example, the Irish Times says that Cork was the capital for insurrection. Meanwhile, the military support for the pro-treaty forces from Britain meant the Civil War always favoured the Free State. Despite this, Cork and the Munster Republic held out for several weeks. During that time, Cork and Munster were cut off from the rest of Ireland. Cork was under embargo at C2. The 1st Cork Brigade ran Rebel Cork. They charged taxes on businesses, ran the port of Cork and even created their own armoured cars called the River Lee, using the Ford's factory on Marina for supplies. It's here we meet Barry Egan again. He had pledged after the burning of Cork that he would keep his employees in work, come what may. Now let us tell you a bit more about silver. All genuine silver is hallmarked. This is on the piece so people know it's the real deal. Silver is first mined and then worked by a silversmith. Then it's sent off for assay. In other words, to be checked to prove it's authentic. Then it gets a hallmark or a stamp so people can trust it. The problem Egan faced was that there was no way of getting his silver to Dublin to be checked and hallmarked. He decided to press ahead. He created his own stamps. In order for them to continue producing silverware, the manager of the business, Mr Barry Egan, had three special punches made to stamp their work. These stamps consisted of a two-masted sailing ship facing left, a single cancellated tower, usually stamped twice at either side of the ship, and the third punch was a version of Egan's maker's mark, W.E. in Oblong. These stamps were used instead of an official hallmark from the Irish Assay Office. The idea to produce their own stamps is said to have come from Oliver St. John Gogarty. He suggested that Egan's should create a special category of silver which could be produced under the current conditions. And so Republican Cork made its own silver. And in keeping with the divided natures of the time, the man who created it was pro-treaty. He also went on to be a Commonwealth TD. And what about the legacy? After a seaborne landing, a sustained battle was fought between the Free State Army and the Cork No. 1 Brigade, which is known as the Battle of Rochestown. The fight started in passage and also made a way into Douglas. Republicans retreated from the city westward after this battle, rather than risk a full-scale conflict in the city and the civilian casualties this would cause. After brutal conflict, including executions and atrocities, Republican forces dumped arms to end the civil war and prevent further bloodshed. And what about the Republican silver? Between 60 to 80 pieces of silver were stamped with these punches, making them extremely sought after by silver collectors. Once Egan's were able to send their work to Dublin for hallmarking, these punches were destroyed. These pieces are collectors' items not only because of their scarce numbers, but also because they remain as a unique memory of a particular episode in Ireland's history. Five pieces are on public display in Fitzgerald's Park Museum. Ironically, the royal family of Britain holds Cork Republican silver in their collection too. And 32 St. Patrick Street was rebuilt as a beautiful building. Unfortunately, at the time of recording, following recession and pandemic, it lies idle as Cork looks to rise again. A hundred years later, Ireland's history remains an important influence on the Ireland of today. 
This podcast was researched and written by the pupils of Scott Oliver, Cork. It was produced by our teacher, Mr. Olin Ring, with the post-production by Elaine Smith and supported by Cork City Council. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and would ask you to like, share and recommend to a friend. Tossula Gwinka Wintu Tanov Astra Berbua Accorda